0: Today's episode features one of the most notorious bank robbers of the 20th century. If you like it, you'll enjoy Parcast Presents Infamous, where we descend into the darkest true crime stories. Find episodes on Eileen Warnos, Ted Bundy, the Menendez brothers, and more, all throughout July. Search Parcast Presents on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To hear more about today's subject, the notorious John Dillinger, check out our June 22nd and 24th episodes of Conspiracy Theories. Today is Wednesday, July 22nd, 2020. On this day in 1934, legendary bank robber John Dillinger was shot and killed by FBI agents outside Chicago's Biograph Theater. His violent death solidified the Bureau's status as the premier crime-fighting organization in the United States. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest hosts, Ash and Elena.
1: Hello, Today in True Crime listeners. Thanks for having us, Vanessa.
0: You might have heard of their podcast, Morbid, but Ash and Elena are actually coming aboard the ParCast team to host our newest show, Crime Countdown. Every week, they'll tell you 10 of the craziest crime stories ranked.
1: Elena and I are so excited to be joining you on podcast True Crime Team. We have some great episodes coming up on Crime Countdown, like letters from serial killers, deadly cults,
0: and even lottery scams. Uh, basically, it's right up your alley, Vanessa. <laughs> it is. I'm really looking forward to listening to this one and so happy to have you both join me to host today. Ash and Elena will discuss some of the historical aspects of today's story while I'll cover the narrative. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Now let's go back to the evening of Wednesday, July 22nd on the north side of Chicago. Special Agent Melvin Purvis stood on the corner of Lincoln Avenue, melting beneath his shirt collar. Pedestrians in summer dresses and straw hats pulsed around him. It had been one of the hottest days in Chicago history— Temperatures of over 100 degrees Fahrenheit had driven the city's residents out of their homes in search of distraction and relief from the sweltering heat. A few doors down, a dense crowd milled around the box office of the Biograph Theater, which proudly proclaimed that it was cooled by refrigeration. A man in a long coat was leaning against the brick facade of the theater, seemingly impervious to the heat he met Purvis's gaze and gave an almost imperceptible nod of acknowledgement. Purvis did a quick scan of the street, clocking more than 20 other agents, all doing their best to blend in with the crowd as they waited for his signal. After months of work, they were closer than they'd ever been to their goal. Director of Investigations Chief J. Edgar Hoover had personally selected Agent Purvis to lead the special task force. His sole objective? Stop John Dillinger. For the past year, the notorious criminal had conducted a string of violent bank robberies from South Carolina to Indiana. His gang had stolen upwards of $500,000, leaving a trail of dead and injured police officers in their wake. With each narrow escape, they had made a mockery of law enforcement nationwide. They had even robbed police stations, making off with weapons and ammunition. And Dillinger's twin jailbreaks were already the stuff of legend. One of the stories claimed that Dillinger had carved a pistol out of a block of wood, painted it with black shoe polish, and then held up his prison guards. Purvis didn't know if it was true, but it didn't matter. The public had accepted it as fact. With each new tale, they had become more enamored with the criminal. The government had responded by pouring resources into the manhunt, and by placing a massive, $20,000 bounty on Dillinger's head. His wanted posters were so ubiquitous that in the span of a few months, John Dillinger had become the most recognizable man in the country, which made it even more galling that he had become a ghost. Dillinger had last been seen robbing a bank in South Bend, Indiana, almost a month earlier, another police officer had been killed, and the bank robber had disappeared without a trace. Until now. A few days ago, Agent Purvis had met with a woman who called herself Anna Sage. She claimed to have information about Dillinger's whereabouts, but she wasn't going to give the information up for free. She was a Romanian immigrant on the verge of being deported. In exchange for Dillinger's whereabouts, she wanted a guarantee that she would be allowed to stay in the country. Purvis said he would do what he could, provided her information was good. As it turned out, Anna Sage hadn't just recognized Dillinger on the street, he was a friend of hers and had recently been dating a prostitute named Polly Hamilton, who worked at a brothel run by Sage. Most importantly, John Dillinger had invited both Sage and Polly to go to a movie with him on the evening of July 22nd. Sage would wear a bright orange dress so that the FBI could quickly spot her and arrest Dillinger. Agent Purvis tensed as the door to the biograph flew open. Moviegoers came pouring out, mixing with the pedestrians outside. His eyes flitted from one group to the next until he spotted a woman in a vibrant orange dress. She was accompanied by a younger woman and a man in a straw hat. This was it. Purvis raised a cigar to his lips and lit it, giving the signal for his men to move in. Almost instantly, his agents emerged from the crowd, drawing weapons as they converged on Dillinger. The bank robber must have noticed them too, because he suddenly pushed ahead of the crowd, bolting for an alley. Two shots rang out, drawing shrieks from the crowd. Purvis glanced back to see a pair of women lying on the ground beneath the biograph's marquee, screaming as other moviegoers rushed to help them. One of his agents had missed wildly hitting the civilians. Three more gunshots sounded up ahead, Purvis pushed through the melee until he reached a group of his agents clustered on the sidewalk. The man in the straw hat lay before them in a pool of blood. He went for his gun, one of the agents said, matter of factly, pointing to a pistol on the sidewalk. Purvis nodded. Two bullets had struck the bank robber in the heart. The third had gone through his neck, exiting above his left eye. Purvis's agents had shot to kill, and they'd succeeded. John Dillinger was dead. Up next, we'll discuss the manhunt that led to the killing. Now, back to the story. On July 22, 1934, John Dillinger was shot dead by special agents outside the Biograph Theater in Chicago. The execution came after a year-long bank robbing spree that turned him into a bona fide celebrity and led FBI director J. Edgar Hoover to name him public enemy number one. My guest hosts, Ash and Elena, will take us through the extensive manhunt that culminated in Dillinger's death.
2: Thanks, Vanessa. When we discussed John Dillinger's facial reconstructive surgery a few weeks ago, we talked about his transformation from petty criminal into a legendary bank robber. When he was 21, Dillinger was arrested for holding up a grocery store for $50. He spent nine years in prison, and when he finally got out, he had become a hardened professional criminal. Compared to his time behind bars, the crime spree that turned John Dillinger into an American legend was actually pretty brief. From 1933 to 1934, he robbed over a dozen banks and two police stations. The jobs were done with a gang of criminals pooled from fellow inmates from Dillinger's prison stint. Together, the group stole approximately $500,000, or roughly 7 million, adjusted for inflation. They were heavily armed and used violence unsparingly, resulting in countless shootouts with police. Their crimes left 10 victims dead and seven others wounded. One reason that the Dillinger gang was so successful at evading
1: police was they were always on the move. Immediately after a bank robbery, they would drive across state lines so that they were always out of reach of whichever law enforcement agency was looking for them at the moment. It was this strategy in particular that drew the attention of J. Edgar Hoover, who at the time was the director of the Bureau of Investigations. For several years now, Hoover had been struggling to evolve his little bureau into a powerful crime-fighting agency. He took advantage of the media attention around Dillinger's bank robberies and campaigned to have those crimes designated as federal offenses so they would fall under his jurisdiction. Once this was accomplished, he formed a special task force to hunt and catch Dillinger, appointing Special Agent Melvin Purvis as its lead. Catching this infamous robber was no easy task, though Purvis came close several times. On April 22nd, he tracked Dillinger's gang to the Little Bohemia Resort Lodge in the woods of Wisconsin. The heavily armed agents fanned out around the lodge, anticipating yet another shootout with the criminals. When a car came tearing out of the parking lot, Purvis's agent shouted for it to stop. It didn't, and they opened fire, pumping the vehicle with bullets. When they opened the door, they found that the people inside were not members of Dillinger's gang, but innocent vacationers who hadn't heard the agent's commands over the music they were listening to. Two passengers had been injured and one was dead. The shooting had also alerted the Dillinger gang to the agent's presence. They began firing out of the lodge's windows, forcing Purvis and the others to take cover in the woods. Before they could regroup and
0: respond, Dillinger stole a car and escaped into the night. Three months later, Agent Melvin Purvis finally got his man, thanks in no small part to information provided by Dillinger's friend, Anna Sage. The bank robber had become so famous that spectators lined up outside of the Chicago morgue where his body was put on display. And a few days later, 5,000 people turned up for his funeral. All told, the manhunt for John Dillinger cost the U.S. government and American taxpayers $2 million, approximately four times the amount that his gang stole over the course of their year-long crime spree. Despite this, Purvis's execution of John Dillinger was regarded as an unmitigated success for J. Edgar Hoover, earning his fledgling FBI a reputation as the nation's premier crime-fighting organization. Hoover would keep Dillinger's straw hat and pistol as trophies in his office for years to come. Special Agent Melvin Purvis became even more famous as the man who got Dillinger. His popularity eventually earned him the jealousy and ire of his boss – J. Edgar Hoover placed Purvis on worse and worse assignments until he resigned from the FBI in 1935. Hoover continued to interfere with Purvis's attempts to find law enforcement jobs for years afterward. In 1960, Melvin Purvis died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound at his home in South Carolina. His death was initially ruled a suicide although later investigations suggested that it might have been an accident. And despite her critical role in assisting the John Dillinger task force, Anna Sage fared no better. She was deported to Romania in 1936. She lived there until her death 11 years later at the age of 58. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again to Ash and Elena for joining me today.
2: Thanks for having us. And you can find Crime Countdown and our other podcast, Morbid, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: To learn more about the Dillinger gang, check out the Conspiracy Theories episodes on Dillinger and his mysterious death. You can also listen to our Today in True Crime episode for May 27th, 2020, To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Andrew Kelleher, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson.